Welcome to the podcast of Life Church in Houston, Texas. We are so glad that you are joining us today. We hope that this message inspires your week, builds your faith, and ultimately brings you closer to Christ. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the podcast. I, I, I really like this series, and I've really enjoyed uh, getting your questions. And if you haven't had a chance to send in a question, you can do that by going to life.cc. Go to our website. There you will see on one of the little drop-down tabs. Uh, you have the ability to send in a question. But I've loved reading all of the responses, reading the questions. And next week is Mother's Day, of course, but there have been so many questions about parenting and relationships. And so our very own Pastor Nancy is going to be speaking next week. And the topic that she's going to be talking about, the question she's going to be answering on Mother's Day is how do I raise a godly family? How do I raise godly children? So I'm really looking forward to that. Of course, as you can tell, my mother, I mean, she knows what she's talking about. If she, if she raised somebody like me, and that's... She, she did a great job in spite of me being so stubborn. Let's just say that. She, she really had her work uh, cut out for her. But before I jump into uh, today's message, I want to uh, talk to you about Ima's home. Like I mentioned just a moment ago about uh, the orphanage that we support, that we sponsor over in the Philippines. It's an orphanage that our lead pastor started himself. It wasn't an outside organization. It was our pastor on his own missions, endeavors in the country of the Philippines that God just placed it in his heart after he saw so many children living without a family, living without a home, living on the streets. Our pastor decided he was going to follow the call of God and do something about it. And he started a home. It opened in 2013. I think the very first day that it opened, we had 13 children. And today we have 100 and I think actually we have 120. It's either 119 or 120 because we just added a young boy just a few days ago. And I'm so thankful to see what God has done through that work. And you know how I was talking about God continues to give us opportunities because of our generosity and because of, of our, our spirit of giving, he continues to open up doors for us to, to have more influence and to be able to impact more people. Well, one of the ways that has happened recently is the partnership between Ima's Home and the organization called One Child. How many of you remember a few weeks ago when Pastor Jason Bentley was here? He preached an amazing message, but he also talked about One Child. Do y'all remember that? Remember he had these, these pamphlets here where you as a family or you as an individual could take this pamphlet, and this is for a, a young boy named Alexander. Each one is, is individualized. You're not going to get a, a packet and start sponsoring several children at once. It's, it's very unique. You, f you look at a picture of the child that you're going to be sponsoring, and what was unique about those pamphlets that he brought is all of those pamphlets are children from Ima's home. And so we only have a handful of these left. And before we continue to spread that influence out into the community there around the orphanage, we want to make sure that every child in Ima's home has a sponsor through one child. And so we have, I have this one here. There's a few more that are just right outside. When you exit right here by Missions Trading, there's a table set up and Jeannie has the rest of them. I think there's only five or six of them left. And I just wonder if before this day is over, if we could just decide, maybe God's put it on your heart already to be a family that can sponsor one of these children. If you look inside, it'll tell you a little bit about them. This is Alexander. He's eight years old. His favorite thing to do is play with Rubik's Cubes and toy cars. 
His favorite thing to do with his friends is run around the basketball court, sometimes play soccer. I mean, you, you get some information about this child, but you also find out how your sponsorship helps them, helps them with education, helps them with food, helps them with clothing, helps them with health care. And I just wonder if, if after service you could stop by, look at these pamphlets, and I wonder if, if we can just today decide that, that we're going to sponsor all of these children so that we can continue to grow that influence that we have. Amen? So I'll just ask, does anybody just feel led right now to sponsor Alexander? Would anybody like to take, the, come on, I saw you, Chris. Come on, man. There you go. Thanks, buddy. Love you, dude. Good to see you. As soon as service is over, you can go right out these doors, right at Missions Trading, and you'll find the rest of those. And I'm, I'm so thankful that we have the opportunity to partner with that organization, and it's really just going to enhance the work that God is allowing us to do in the country of the Philippines. All right, you asked for it. Today we're gonna tackle a new subject, a new question that was submitted by a couple of people around the same topic. How do I overcome fear? How do I overcome fear of, of everything that's been going on in the world for the last couple of years? Don't you know it's been a little crazy? the last couple of years? How do I overcome fear just in my own personal life and relationships? How do I overcome fear about my future? I think all of us, no matter what our, our life has looked like, whether we've been blessed and fortunate or we've been disadvantaged, all of us deal with fear. It's part of being human. I deal, I deal with fear. Constantly, I deal with fear. Different, different uh, situations coming up in my life that can cause fear and can cause anxiety. I remember a story, uh, just to give you a story about a time that I, um, I faced great fear. Actually, it was um, when I was in the Marine Corps, I deployed to Afghanistan in 2011. And um, upon entering the country, you know, you, you go through this process of you usually land at a very large base with an airfield, and, and from there, you kind of, depending on what your job is and what your mission is, you kind of make your way out to where you're going to be, um, your, operate, your area of operation is going to be. So for me, I landed at uh, a bigger base, Camp Dwyer. It was in Hellman Province. So from Camp Dwyer, I started getting on trucks and helicopters and getting closer and closer to the patrol base that was far out that I was going to be living out of and, and operating out of. And along the way, um, before we kind of got dispersed into smaller groups, it was me and, and about a dozen of my, my fellow Marines, my friends, and we got to one outpost one night, and it was kind of the last leg of the journey where we're going to spend the night at this outpost, and then the next day we're going out to our patrol bases, and that's where, that's where we'd be living for the next uh, seven months, where we'd be working out of, operating out of. And so it's a, it's a, it was a surreal experience. It was a surreal experience leaving the big base and being in the back of a truck and being able to look out at the countryside and look and see locals. And, and it's, it was surprisingly beautiful. There's poppy flowers growing everywhere. There's farmland. And on where I was at, the Hellman River ran through the desert, basically. So you had some farmland around that water source, but then it was just surrounded by desert and mountains. It was very beautiful. It was a surreal moment. Well, that night came. We had a tent set up, and my friends and I um, 
We're getting ready to go to sleep. We're sleeping on the cots. And uh, we just decided it was a good idea for us to start telling ghost stories to each other. If you're wondering what Marines do in, uh, in combat zones before they go to sleep is they tell ghost stories, apparently. So we start telling these stories, scary stories, ghost stories. I'm gonna be honest with you. I got kind of scared because <laughs> they had some good ones and it was freaking me out a little bit. And um, we wind down, we had told plenty of stories. We kind of wind down the night, like, okay, it's time to go to sleep. I'm laying there, I'm trying to, trying to uh, get my imagination under control. And as I'm, as I'm laying in that cot, course I'm kind of wound up from the stories but then I I start hearing something I start hearing like rocks moving around and sounds like somebody is walking around in our tent now it's pitch black there's no electricity in the tent you know it's I mean it's dark but I hear someone walking around I hear rocks moving with slow footsteps and so the marine that was next to me in his cot next to me his name was Mike I said, Mike, is that you? And his response was, I thought it was you. So we all turn our little red lens flashlights on. We're freaking out. We're thinking somebody's in this tent. Somebody has snuck in here. Somebody's wishing to do us harm. We turn on our flashlights. We don't see a thing, but we can hear something behind one of the flaps of the tent. And so one of my friends gets out a knife and he throws it and it spooks the thing behind this flap in the tent. And when it runs out, it's running directly towards me and I'm still laying on my cot and I'm making eye contact with him. He's running towards me and I become frozen with fear. He jumps up and he lands on my chest and he pounces out of the tent and that's the story of how I got terrified in a war zone by a cat. <laughs> yeah, you can laugh. It was an Afghan cat though. It was huge. It's like a lion or something. Rest assured, you're in good hands, America. You're in good hands, Marines are brave. No, really, that, the story's funny. I was scared, out of my mind scared in that situation. This cat's running towards me. I literally just froze in fear. You ever have moments where fear just freezes you, paralyzes you, where you can't even, your brain cannot communicate, move or run or fight. You're just frozen. Well, that was me in that moment. And you know, it's, it's, that's a funny story, but I've also had moments of fear that have just rocked me. Moments of fear that have controlled me. Moments of fear that have caused sleepless nights and stress and anxiety and pain and worry. Moments of fear that caused me to make bad decisions about where I'm gonna find comfort, about where I'm gonna find solutions, about where I'm going to find answers. And I think the reason that several of you asked how to overcome fear, or how to deal with fear in your life is because it's a universal problem we all deal with. We all have issues with fear. I think there's a reason why the Bible over and over says things like, don't be afraid. 
do not fear, fear not. Over and over, God is coming to his people in, in the middle of terrible situations and he's, he's commanding them really is what he's doing. He's showing up and he's saying, don't fear, don't be afraid. One of my favorite passages where, where we see that is Joshua chapter one, verse nine. And I love the story of Joshua so much. I love the story of Joshua and Caleb so much. If you haven't, if you haven't read that, I encourage you to read the story of Joshua and Caleb in uh, the book of Numbers. And then, of course, in the book of, of Joshua. But here we are in Joshua's life. Moses has just passed away. Jo uh, Joshua becomes the leader of the nation of Israel. And he becomes the leader of the nation at the time where they're about to do something very difficult. They're about to go to war, go into the land that God promised them, and they're going to be at war and in, involved with conflict with a lot of pagan, barbaric nations. And God shows up to Joshua and he says, have I not commanded you? Be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid nor be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Isn't that beautiful to know that God is, is with us everywhere we go? And don't you know that promise wasn't just to Joshua, it's to you and I. That God is with us wherever we go. But you know what's hard about this? Is God saying, don't be afraid. Like God, you made my brain in a way where fear is something I experience involuntarily. Why are you telling me not to be afraid when that is just a natural response to life? And I think there is that fear that, that God put in our, our brains and that ability to discern dangerous situations. I think it's healthy for us to have fear of things like venomous snakes, fear of uh, when we're driving to be careful or when we're, we're walking across the street to be aware. That fear that just makes us aware of danger. But because sin corrupts humanity and because sin corrupts flesh, what's happened is that part of our brain that is supposed to identify immediate physical danger now gets switched on with things like relationship problems. Things that are of no immediate physical threat, our brain still produces the same chemicals that tell us we're in danger. But we see over and over, God say, don't be afraid, fear not. So let's talk about what fear looks like in our lives. You know, we have Maslow's uh, uh, hierarchy of needs. That's something the sociologists have established and talked about. And, and then we have kind of in, in correlation with that is uh, a fear hierarchy. It shows us as human beings that we all share some very common fears. And they're gonna put this on the screen. If you think of this as like a hierarchy here, you see at the bottom, it's fear of death. It's fear of, of physical injury. It's fear of, of uh, immediate threats. It's, it's that basic level of fear where you're identifying that something is going to cause you extreme harm and even death. Then we have next on that list is the fear of, of isolation. So this goes beyond our physical needs now. The fear of isolation is just being alone in the world. Not having any intimate relationships, not having any loving friendships, not having anyone else in life to lean on or go to or be embraced by. It's a fear of just being rejected. Then we have a fear of immobilization. 
a fear of confinement. Anybody deal with claustrophobia? I, I always thought I was good because I, growing up, had some injuries where I had to get MRIs and they put me in the tube where you feel like you're in a, a spaceship. And I fell asleep as a young man. And they had to come in and wake me up and say, hey, you're twitching while you're asleep, you need to stay awake. Like, oh. There's no problem for me to be in a confined space. The problem is now I'm just a lot larger. And so getting into the confined space, I recently had an MRI and uh, that one freaked me out a little bit. So yes, fear of immobilization. Imprisonment, arrest. Have you ever seen these videos of, of people who are facing some serious, they're facing serious punishment because of a felony or because of some atrocious crime they've committed and they're in the courtroom and for, for some reason they just decide to run. Run away from the courtroom, try to get out to the street when obviously that's not going to work. Like if there's one place you know you're not going to escape from, it's probably prison or the next thing is court where there's a lot of cops and they're ready to chase you. But what causes that response? It's the, it's the knowledge that I'm about to go somewhere where I have, I'm immobilized. I have a loss of freedom. I'm not able to move about and be myself. Then we have fear of, of injury. Oh, I'm sorry. Fear of, uh, see, these are different in my notes. I messed it up. It's not them. It's my fault. Fear of injury, fear of death, fear of immobilization, uh, fear of isolation and fear of humiliation. Fear of humiliation has to do with our ego, has to do with our pride, being put in situations where people's opinion of us is going to be changed. Like public speaking. Can I tell you, every time I come up here, like I have a sick feeling in my stomach and my mouth is dry. And I've done this, I don't know, hundreds of times, but still there's, there's this fear of what if I go up there and my fly's unzipped? Don't worry, I checked. It's okay. <laughs> TMI. Fear of humiliation. Have you ever been in a social situation where unwanted attention is placed on you or embarrassment? You've done something that you, you regret immediately. You've said something you wish you could take back. Anybody replay embarrassing conversations that you had years ago that guaranteed nobody else remembers it but you and you're laying in bed at night thinking about that stupid thing you said and all of a sudden you feel like you want to vomit? Am I the only one? No, there's a fear of humiliation. There are a couple of other things I started thinking about. So this hierarchy I just went through with you, this is something that was established by uh, sociologists and I started thinking, well, what are the things that I've experienced that are not on that list? I think there's a very real fear that we all have in, in our world and in America, in the Western world of fear of losing our comfort, fear of something happening that changes our quality of life in a negative way. I started thinking about how ridiculous it was that when COVID, the lockdowns happened, what was the one thing that people were obsessed with hoarding and stocking up on? Toilet paper. No, really, think about like on a psychological level, why did so many people hoard toilet paper? Because that's not something you need to survive. That's not something you need to prevent death, injury, immobilization, isolation, humiliation. If anything, it's humiliating for you to buy a million rolls of toilet paper. 
Why was, and this wasn't just, this was like nationwide. People were freaking out and buying toilet paper. Why? Because the view or the idea or the, the fear of losing comfort gripped people. They didn't want to lose their comfort. They needed their triple ply, super soft toilet paper. I have fear of losing comfort. I don't, you know that, that you're, you're, you're naturally going to drift towards comfort. You're not naturally going to drift towards things that are challenging. You're not naturally going to drift towards things that are going to grow you or, or develop you in, in certain areas of your life. You are naturally going to drift towards what's the most comfortable. What's the state of life that I can get in where it's the least amount of work, it's the least amount of problems, where I can kind of settle in and coast here? And then another one that, that I thought about was, as a parent, fear for my children. When my oldest daughter, Scarlett, was born, she had to spend a, uh, a week in the NICU. And I know there's parents even recently that have been, been going through that where their child isn't able to come home. They're having to spend time in the hospital, spend time in the intensive care unit. And my daughter, when she was born, she couldn't breathe properly. She had fluid in her lungs and they had to keep her uh, in the NICU for a whole week. And as a father, that was terrifying for me because there came a certain point in the day where visitors were no longer allowed in the hospital and I had to walk out of the hospital room and know that I can't see my daughter for another eight hours or 10 hours and there was just an anxiety about it of, well, who's gonna, who's gonna take care of her? Of course, the nurses are amazing. And they're, they're, I don't want, there's no discredit to them. Of course, they're amazing, but there's still just the wonder and the, the fear of what's going to happen when I'm not here. I'm a helicopter dad, man. I will tell you, like straight up, I can tell already my daughter, Scarlett, is eight years old and I can tell that she's like sick of it. Cause we'll just be driving, we'll just be driving down the road. She'll be in the back seat, and like I can see her in the mirror. But I just have this thing where like if we go ten minutes without talking, say you okay, <laughs> you okay back there? Yes, yes, daddy. If I am at the house and our daughter Imogene is running around, she's a year and a half old. She's crazy, crazy, crazy. She's running around somewhere here. If she is out of my sight and quiet for like three seconds, I know something suspicious is going on. You know where my mind usually goes to? She's choking on something or she's gotten into, she's playing with something electrical. Like, no, no, no. So I'm like, where's Imogene? I got to find Imogene. It's just an unhealthy fear. I mean, I think that, I mean, obviously it's, it's good to know where your children are at and make sure things are safe, but fear of children, fear of your chil or children, something terrible happening to them. If you're, if you're scared of your kids, that's a whole different message. <laughs> That's a different message for a different day. Fear doesn't stop with just being afraid though. When fear comes into our lives, it doesn't stop with just being afraid because the truth about fear is that the enemy, the enemy of our soul, the enemy of our spirit, Satan, the enemy wants to use fear as a weapon and wants to weaponize it in a way that will consume your life. So in the moment, you might be afraid, but the enemy wants to use fear to go beyond that moment. He wants to go beyond the moment of you being afraid, and he wants to figure out what it is you're afraid of and use those things. Fear manifests itself primarily as three things. How does it go beyond just being afraid? It's this. 
Fear can manifest itself as anger. Is this resonating with anybody? Anybody, whenever you get afraid or a situation happens that you, you don't like, anybody, your response is anger? I want to read a story to you about a man named Gideon in the book of Judges, chapter 6. It says, The angel of the Lord came and sat beneath the great tree at Ophrah, which belonged to Joash of the clan Abizer. Gideon, son of Joash, was threshing, threshing wheat at the bottom of a wine press to hide the grain from the Midianites. So here's some context for you. You don't normally thresh wheat in the bottom of a wine press. You usually find a field and thresh wheat out in the open, but he's doing it in a place where he's hidden and he's concealed and he feels protected. And the reason is because he's afraid of this group called the Midianites. Because for years and generations over and over, this group called the Midianites came in and, and they stole everything from the people of Israel. They stole crops. They, they subjugated the people. And so here Gideon is trying to do what he has to do to stay alive and provide for his family and do his job, but he's hiding. And that's when the angel showed up and said, mighty hero, the Lord is with you. Strange, because it wouldn't appear that this man who's hiding in a wine press threshing wheat is a mighty hero. So he says, mighty hero, the Lord is with you. And Gideon responded, sir, if the Lord is with us, then why has this all happened to us? If the Lord is with us, where are the miracles that our ancestors told us about? Didn't they say the Lord brought us up out of Egypt? And now the Lord has abandoned us and handed us over to the Midianites. We've established that Gideon was afraid, right? He's hiding. What did his fear manifest as? Anger. Anger towards God. If God is with me, then why is this happening? If God saved our ancestors from Egypt, why did he do that just to have us here enslaved to the Midianites? I think if you look around in culture, even today, and we know right now in our country, there's so much division politically, there's so much division culturally, socially. I mean, it's so divisive. And there is so much anger, attacks, arguments, riots. Can I tell you that what we're seeing in the anger in the culture today is just a symptom of fear. Fear. Fear of someone not understanding us, fear of our way of life changing, fear of our values being attacked. And as a response to that fear, there's a lot of anger. You know, one of the wisest spiritual leaders ever once said, fear leads to anger, anger leads to hate, hate leads to suffering. I'm just kidding, that was Yoda. Yoda said that. Any Star Wars geeks in here? Come on. I won't try to say it like him because like I said, fear of humiliation. I'm not gonna try to do the Yoda voice. I was thinking about that though. Yes, I am a huge nerd, so what? I was thinking about that, what he said. Fear leads to anger, anger leads to hate. Hate leads to suffering. Regardless of how fear manifests itself in your life, guess what it's going to ultimately lead to? Suffering. 
Fear leads to suffering. The second way that fear manifests itself in our lives is through insecurity. Let's continue to read this story. Judges chapter 6, verses 14 and 15. So Gideon has this response. Well, if God was with me, why didn't he do this? He goes on. Then the Lord turned to him and said, go with the strength you have and rescue Israel from the Midianites. I am sending you. But Lord, Gideon replied, how can I rescue Israel? My clan is the weakest in the whole tribe of Manasseh, and I am the least in my entire family. So basically, you see the insecurity here. God has chosen Gideon to be this leader that helps free Israel and defeat their enemy. And he says, I don't think you understand. You have the wrong guy because my clan is the weakest clan in the whole nation. And I am the weakest person in the weakest clan. I am the weakest person in this country. This is insecurity speaking. And we all have insecurity. Another way that anger, or I'm sorry, that fear can manifest itself is in the form of control, of the desire to control, of feeling the need like you have to control everything. Judges chapter six, the story goes on. The Lord said to him, I will be with you and you will destroy the Midianites as if you were fighting against one man. Gideon replied, okay, okay, okay. If you truly are going to help me, if this is true and what you've said is true, then I want you to show me a sign to prove that it's really the Lord speaking to me. Don't go away until I come back and bring my offering to you. Imagine, imagine demanding God meet your terms. But he needed to control the situation because he was afraid at the idea that, that God could possibly have called him to do this. And so that, that fear took over and he felt like he needed to control the situation. Well, if this is really true, God, what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna lay this blanket out and in the morning when all the dew is around, I want the blanket to be dry. And God did it, that's what the story says. And he still wasn't convinced. So he said, okay, God, one more time, I'm gonna lay the blanket out and I want the, the ground to be dry, but I want the blanket to be damp. Like it's, in, it's, it's bizarre, but he had to control it because of his fear. Fear makes us feel like we have to be in control of people. Fear will make you feel like you have to be con in control of situations. Fear will make you feel like you have to be in control of all the decisions. If you maybe right now you're in a situation in your marriage where you're constantly fighting with your spouse and you're constantly arguing, and you can't, uh, you can't reach a goal, or you can't reach a, a solution together, but you're demanding your own way, maybe. You're trying to control everything about your marriage, and you're trying to control everything about your spouse. You're trying to control everything about everything, and it's coming from this place of fear of, I have to control this, or else I'm gonna get hurt. You see, feeling like we're in control is us thinking that we can prevent getting hurt. Instead of us living in fear, God wants us to live by faith. Because I think if, if and, and we all, this manifests with us, all of us experience anger, we all experience insecurity, we all experience that need to feel like we're in control. And maybe for you, one of those is more dominant in your life than others. But ultimately, this kind of fear can hold us back from giving God control. 
It can hold you back from really surrendering the situation and surrendering your dilemma and surrendering your problem and surrendering your questions to God because you feel like that's losing control. But God wants us to live by faith. Fear is used by the enemy to suppress us, but our faith by God blesses us. So how do we overcome fear? What's the solution? If this is something we all deal with, if we're all gonna experience fear at some point in some way, whether it's on that hierarchy I showed you or whether it's fear for your children or it's fear of losing comfort, whatever it is, how can we defeat it? How can we overcome it? The first thing that we have to do is stand our ground. Say that with me. Stand our ground. Exodus chapter 14, verses 13 and 14 says this. Moses told the people, don't be afraid. Just stand still and watch. Another translation says, just stand firm and watch the Lord rescue you today. The Egyptians you see today will never be seen again. The Lord himself will fight for you. Just stay calm. You know what was happening in this moment as the children of Israel were being pursued by the fiercest, greatest military on the earth. The Egyptians were coming for them and they were going to massacre them and slaughter them. And Moses says, don't be afraid. <laughs> don't be afraid, just stand still and watch. I wonder how many times we face situations in our lives where we're consumed by fear and then immediately we try to fix it ourselves. Immediately we react in anger. Immediately we act in insecurity and withdraw from the situation. Immediately we try to control instead of the first response being still and taking it to God. The second thing that we have to do is pray for peace. Philippians chapter four, verse six says, be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the Bible is giving us some very difficult things to do. In the face of fear, don't be afraid. That's hard to do. Whenever you're feeling anxious, pray for peace, but do it with, with thanksgiving. That seems kind of bizarre, right? that the Bible would be so specific. Don't be anxious about anything, but with everything in prayer, with thanksgiving, let your request be known to God. Why do you think it's so important that the Holy Spirit wanted our Bibles to tell us that when we are feeling anxious to go to God with thanksgiving? It's because the way our brains work is you can change your response if you train yourself to always be thankful in times of stress, to always be thankful in times of anxiety. In those moments when the world and when problems and situations come up and the natural response is fear and the natural response is anxiety, allow the Holy Spirit to guide you in that moment so that despite what you're feeling, you can tell God how thankful you are for everything that he's done for you. And if you do that enough, that's going to become your response every time. It's going to become natural to you. You can literally retrain your brain to do that. We just preached a, a series just a few weeks ago called Mind Monsters. 
And if you missed that series, if this is something where you, you are just dealing with fear and anxiety and depression, I encourage you, go back on our YouTube page. You can search Life Church HTX. Find that sermon series, Mind Monsters, because we dive into how the brain works. We dive into the scientific aspect of it, but we also dive into what the Bible has to say about it and what the solutions can be for you to change that about your response to change that about your outlook so you can get out of those cycles of shame and depression and anger. But we have to stand our ground. We have to pray for peace. You know the way that that happens? It is muscle memory almost. It's a spiritual muscle memory. It's, it's exercising your faith, which means the first time you try to do it, it's not gonna feel right, it's not gonna feel good, and it's not going to be easy. The first time you do it, it's not going to be easy to stand still in the face of fear. The first time that you try to pray for peace with thanksgiving in the middle of your anxiety, it's not going to be easy. But the more and more you do it, and the more and more you build that muscle, the more and more you develop that muscle memory within your faith, that's what changes your reaction. The third thing is this. We have to reject lies. Second Corinthians chapter 10 verse five says, Cast down, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. That means everything that causes you stress, everything that causes you fear, everything in life that causes you to be overwhelmed by fear, you need to capture those thoughts and replace it with what? with what God says about you. And that's why it's so important. It cannot be stressed enough how important it is for you as a believer to know what the word of God says. And you cannot rely and depend on one Sunday service where you hear a sermon that's 40 or 50 minutes or whatever it is. I'm trying to get below that, I'm sorry. You have to, for yourself, get a Bible. Download the Bible app. You have to, for yourself, dive into God's word and find out what he says about you and what he says about who he is and what he says about your situation so that when that fear comes, you can identify the lie, you can reject the lie, and you can hold on to God's truth. The fourth thing to overcome fear is to trust God. Trust God. Psalm 56, verses three and four. Whenever I am afraid, I will trust in you. In God, I will praise his word. In God, I have put my trust. I will not fear. What can flesh do to me? I'd, I'd like to ask the band to go ahead and come back. But trust God. Every situation, trust God. Every situation, before you respond in anger, before you respond in insecurity, before you respond by trying to take control, stand still. Stand still and take it to God. Pray for peace with thanksgiving. Reject lies. Reject the lies of the world and reject the lies that you've been telling yourself. And then trust God. I know this is so easy for me to come up here and say and give you this four-step process for how to overcome fear. 
And it's not easy to do. From my own experience, I know it's not easy to live life in a way where every situation that arises that causes us fear, every situation that arises that causes us anxiety about the future or about our children or about our family or about our health, it's so hard to not fear. That's why there's another thing that you need. You need to be full of the Holy Spirit. You need to be full of God's Spirit. We have been invited, you and I, we have been invited through the cross of Jesus Christ to have a relationship with God. And because of that invitation, because we are now able to have relationship with God, his spirit can live in us. And in moments where it seems like it wouldn't make sense for us to have peace, the Holy Spirit will give you peace. That's what the Bible says. It's a peace that passes all understanding. And I think a lot of times people read that and they think, well, that means God's gonna explain to me and help me understand everything that's going on in my life when that's not what it says. It says that God is going to give you peace even when it doesn't make sense for you to have peace. God is going to give you peace even when you don't have the answers. And listen, you don't need the answers because God knows the answers. So if you trust in God and you stand still and you pray for peace and you reject the lies and you allow God to work in your life and you are open to his spirit leading you, guiding you, filling you, then the result of that is going to be when situations arise, you know where you can put your faith. You know where you can put your trust and it doesn't make sense, but God will surround you with peace. Amen. Let me finish this story of Gideon. So, so we saw how he reacted in anger. We saw how he reacted in insecurity. We saw how he tried to take control. Well, the story ends up that Gideon steps into this role. He says, okay, God, you want me to be the leader of this army to defeat the Midianites? I'll do it. So he steps up to the plate and he rallies an army of 32,000 men. And they're about to go do battle with the Midianites. And God says to Gideon, hold on, Gideon. Before you go into battle with your enemy, I know you have 32,000 men and you're still outnumbered. What I'm going to do is I'm going to whittle this army down that you have. And he, God sent home all these men time and time again until there were only 300 men left. This seems like the right opportunity for Gideon to have anger, Right? Like, God, I had 32,000 men. We were still outnumbered, and now I'm down to 300, but he doesn't react in anger this time because he trusts God. He doesn't react with insecurity, feeling like there's no way I'm going to defeat this army with only 300 men. No, he doesn't react with insecurity. He trusts God. He didn't try to take control and recruit the men back and bring them back. Instead, he trusted God. And Gideon led those 300 men. They didn't even have to fight. God fought for them. They showed up, did their part, sang praises to God, confused the enemy. God came in and killed the enemy. He knew that God was in control. This is what I want you to understand today. If there's anything, 
If there's anything that you take away from this message, it's this statement right here. It's time for you to fight because your future is on the other side of your fear. Something that we say here at Life Church is that the best life you could ever live is the life that God has for you. Your best life is on the other side of your fear. The life that God has for you is on the other side of fear. The purpose that God has for you is on the other side of fear. Will you stand with me this morning? I'd like to ask our prayer team to please come to the front. And I would just like in this moment for all of us to have, have a time where we just kind of do some reflection. Let's, let's be serious and ask ourselves. I want you to identify what is it right now in your life that you are struggling with fear? What is the situation? What is the circumstance? What is it right now going on in your life where you are being consumed by fear? Is it something with your health? Is it something with your family? Is it something with your children? Identify the thing that you're struggling with fear right now. Like the Bible says, take it captive in your mind. Identify it. Put your finger on it. You know what it is. Now that you have it captive, you know what the Bible says to do next? Make it obedient to Christ. That means you're going to take that thought. You're going to take that lie. You're going to take that fear. And what we're going to do today is we're going to drag it before the feet of Jesus Christ and surrender it to him. And what I'm believing today is that through faith, through the faith that you have and you display by saying, this is what's causing me fear. This is the situation that's keeping me up at night. This is the situation that's causing me to feel like I have to control everything. That when you just submit it to God, when you release it today, I'm believing that chains are going to be broken. I'm believing that what we do here today in the physical sense, that God in the spiritual sense is going to be fighting our battles for us. That today you can walk out with peace. If you came in consumed by fear, if you came in consumed by anxiety, what I'm believing is that you can leave with peace. Here's how that happens. Bringing those problems to the feet of Jesus. Telling him that you need him. Telling him that you can't do this on your own. Telling him that you can't understand these problems. Bringing them to him and surrendering them. And then allowing him to have his way in your life. Allowing the Holy Spirit to fill you so that you can walk out of this place changed. So that you can walk out of this place with power. So that you can walk out of this place with the determination and everything that you need to overcome fear. So I'd like to pray for you this morning. And then after I pray for you, I invite you. If you have identified that, if you have captured that, bring it to one of our prayer partners up here at the front. Confess it. Speak it out. That's how you gain control of it is identifying it and then partnering with someone in prayer about it together. So will you pray with me today? Lord Jesus, we thank you so much that you are the mighty king. Who is like you, Lord? No one.